And it was so nice last week to be sitting with you and listening to Rhonda teach us God's word. Such a joy. Yes, praise God. I have an announcement for you. Um, There is a conference coming here, not this Friday, but next Friday, the 17th. It's called Revive. And I want to invite you all to come. I will be here. Um, It is a conference that is really um, intended to encourage, to revive you, to encourage you, especially those of you who are serving in some capacity of ministry. Women will be coming from all over our part of the city. Um, Those who maybe are serving in children's ministry or Bible studies or discipleship or community groups or whatever it might be that um, maybe you've been been involved in serving in different capacities, and this is meant to help you network with others, but there's a great message being taught by Karen Howells, um, wonderful message about our identity, which ties so beautifully in with what we're studying, and then there's these fabulous breakout sessions, and let me tell you um, some of the topics, because you get to listen in, to the keynote and then go and into different parts of the building and listen to these workshops. So there's one on um, leaving the past behind, one on the hidden art of spiritual disciplines. That's the one I'm teaching. Um, There's one on engaging in a lifestyle of affirmation. There's one on um, renewed through rhythms of rest, one on modeling servant leadership, and one on fostering healthy relationships. So they're fabulous topics, and uh, I was at the, the, Va- the Vancouver Revive last Friday, and so I'm speaking to you knowingly. This is really worthwhile. So you can go online. I have postcards here, and there's some out there if you want to register. I think it's $20 for the whole day. How much? $15? $15. And it includes a continental breakfast, these great um, workshops, and you'll be richly blessed. So there you go. It's put on by Western Seminary, by the way, women's department, women's um, Center at Western Seminary, which you know I'm a little biased towards. Okay, I want to tell you a story about a man named William. William inherited a generation-skipping trust from his parents. He was one of three sons born to a very hardworking California family that invested well in insurance and real estate in the late 1800s. When his parents died, they passed these assets on to their children and to their grandchildren. So William, when he received his portion of the family trust, he became an expert in financial markets. He studied the financial markets daily, the stock markets. He read the financial news. He studied the performance of the assets in his account every single day. And he became a master at understanding the markets because he had been entrusted with something so valuable. If you don't know what a generation skipping trust means, it means that the the assets that he received were actually passed on to his children, but he gleaned the cash flow from these investments. So it was very important to him to, to preserve the initial investment because he lived off the cash flow of those. William was actually a brilliant man. He um, had a great thirst for learning. By, for sport, William would read encyclopedias. <laughs> he loved knowledge, and he loved learning so much. He was so smart. And um, he invested wisely. He conserved his resources, and he was a good financial steward of the investment he received. Eleven months ago, William died at the age of 93. 
and those investments passed on to his children. He had four children, and they passed on to to them. And William, or Bill as I knew him, was my father-in-law. Have you ever received an inheritance? How many of you have ever received an inheritance? You know, it's emotionally complicated to receive such a lavish gift from someone after they die. My husband and I didn't do anything to earn this gift. We just simply receive it because we're his children. And um, there's this mixture of like great sorrow and great thanksgiving that come with receiving such a gift from someone. And now, of course, we feel a great sense of responsibility because we are entrusted with something that we need to be good stewards of so that it will pass on to the next generation. And there's just something so precious about being given a gift after someone dies because you can't say thank you. You can't say thank you. You're given a gift. uh, You're the recipient of love, but you can't give love back. You're a recipient of a gift, and you can't say thank you because the person has already gone. I received this painting. This is actually the only thing I've, I've ever inherited. I received this painting from my neighbor, Lene. Lene uh, died at the age of 99. She lived next door to me. For 50 years, she was a widow, and she had no children. And actually, I became her friend because I was studying Acts. And the Bible said to go and care for widows and orphans. And the Lord said, you have a widow right next door. You don't even know her. So I befriended her. And for nine years, we had the most precious friendship. Um, I have a picture of her. So you can see her and I together. And um, she was an artist. She was an artist just for hobby. And she had pictures hanging on her her wall, and I always admired them. And, and she, she looked out her home, and she lived up on the ridge, and this was the view that she had. And I live right next door to her, so I have the same view. It's a view of Mount Hood, and it's beautiful. And so she painted this, and, and she, she gave it to me after she died. I didn't even know. I, it was a gift for me that she left for me after she died. And, and now it hangs on my living room wall as a reminder of the sweet friendship that we share. So receiving an inheritance, is it's a gift of generosity, but it's a gift of love. And today we're going to talk about this blessed inheritance that we receive in Christ. As we get to the end of this longest run-on sentence in the Bible, thank you, Paul, um, we're going to get, we're going to talk about the last two blessings that we receive in this inheritance. First, we are blessed by being God's own possession. So the first word is possession. We are God's own possession. We are his inheritance. That's mind-blowing. And the second is promise. We are blessed with the promise of the Holy Spirit that seals our our inheritance. And so what we're going to learn today is that God has given us a rich inheritance in Christ. If you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians. We are a Bible study, so you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 11, and we'll have the verses up here for you as well. But let's begin by looking at verse 11 and seeing how this blessing of possession is taking root. 
In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The idea of receiving an inheritance is something that crosses actually culture and time. For generation after generation after generation, goods, materials, possessions are passed from one generation to the other. The traditional understanding of inheritance is this. It's the gift of a good father to his children. Now, I know that some of us receive an inheritance from our mothers. That's something that's actually more modern because traditionally it's the father who, who possessed the wealth or the family, the family material, and it was passed from the father down to his children. And in the biblical times, the purpose of an inheritance which to, was to pass real property, mostly land, cattle, those types of things on down the family line. And so the greatest example of inheritance that we find is in the Old Testament when we talk about the land of Canaan that God promised to his people, Israel. Last week, Rhonda took us back to Exodus, and she pointed back to Israel being redeemed or freed from slavery, set free, delivered, we talked about. She talked about that as our example of how we understand redemption. Well, in the same way, we're going to go back and look at Israel, but we're going to go back even further to the book of Genesis to understand the idea of inheritance and what inheritance means. We're going to go back to Genesis 12 when God first called a guy named Abraham to, to leave his home and to follow him in order to inherit a great blessing. In this story, Abraham is called out of his hometown, a place called Ur, and God says, I want you to come to a new place. He tells them that he wants him to come, and he promises him three things. He tells him that he's going to give him a land to live in. He tells him that he's going to give him many descendants, that he's going to make a great nation out of his descendants. And he tells him that he's going to make his name great, and from him will come a blessing that will be a blessing to the whole world. Let's look at Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham had a lineage. He had a son, Isaac, who had a son, Jacob, who had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation was born through Abraham's lineage. And God was faithful to his promises. He had prepared a land for the nation of Israel to live, the land of Canaan. It was not just a land. It was a land of milk and honey. It was a land of abundance. It was good soil for growing and for tending cattle. It was rich in abundance and fruitfulness. And after he redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, God was with them through the wilderness as they traveled to this promised land. He was present with them. The story tells us that he was um, guiding them with a cloud by day and fire by night. God was with his people, dwelling with them as they traveled to this promised land. So the land of, of Canaan was the inheritance that God had planned for his people, a place to live, a fruitful, abundant, rich glorious place to live. But more than that, their inheritance was that God was with them. They were his people and he was their God. There was this relationship that signified their inheritance. 
He was with them. He pledged to them that he would protect them and he would guard, guide them. And they were in a covenant relationship of promise. And so he would bless them for their obedience to his word. Exodus 19.5 talks about this. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. For all the earth is mine. So Israel was his treasured possession of all the people. And Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. So the Israelites were God's, were God's inheritance. Um, they received an inheritance from God, and they were his chosen people. They got a prosperous land to live in, just as he promised. They became numerous, just as he promised. And from their line came the Messiah. And through the Messiah, the whole world was blessed, just as he promised. Now today, we live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the coming of the Messiah. Um, Jesus has come into the world, just as promised. He came through the line of, of, of Israel, of, of David, and on through the line. He came just as promised. He died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, just as foretold and promised. And he has set us free. He has freed us from the bondage of sin and death, just as as promised. Yes, praise God. We live, and praise God, we live on this side of that, um, that we don't look forward to the someday this will happen. We look back to the this happened and Jesus is coming again. And so what Paul is explaining to us is we are now part of the inheritance. We now have a share of this inheritance in Christ. In fact, we are doubly blessed because we are God's inheritance through Christ and we receive an inheritance through Christ. We are his inheritance and we receive an inheritance from him. And so I think no wonder Paul has been just overflowing with, with words of blessing and th this long run-on sentence. No wonder he can't stop himself. He's so excited about all that we have in Christ. He's told us we're holy and blameless and we're adopted and we're redeemed and we're forgiven and we're made whole. And now he's telling us that we're God's own possession and we have the Holy Spirit. He's just overflowing because he understands what it means to be partakers of this inheritance. And today, it, even greater, it's Jews and Gentiles who make up the company of God's people. Um, we together are God's chosen people. It's the church at large. It's the church universal across the world. Everyone who believes in Christ are now God's chosen people. And so we are all his own possession. It's so cool. We're, we're made up of every tribe, of every nation, of every person that calls on the name of Christ. We are the company of God's people who receive Christ as, as Savior. We are the inheritance of the saints. How exciting is that? And of course, Paul says this is all to the praise and glory of God. It's all to his praise and glory that we have been redeemed, forgiven, adopted, made holy and blameless, become his possession, received the Holy Spirit. This is all him, nothing about us, but we have believed and received this through Christ. So the truth I want you to know is that you are God's possession. You are God's possession. You are the inheritance that God the Father has given to God the Son. 
I love the prayer of John 17 where Jesus, it's the high priestly prayer where Jesus is speaking to his father and it's this intimate moment of capturing uh, their relationship. It's beautiful. But what's so interesting is over and over and over again, he speaks of us. He speaks of the disciples. He speaks of the believers as those whom you have given to me, that we have been given to Christ as a gift. Here's just a sample of it. You can go back and read it um, later today if you'd like. But in verse um, 6, Jesus is speaking to the Father, and he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. That's us. We have been given to Christ from the Father. We are God's possession. And I think it's interesting because if you... To someone who doesn't know the character of God, to be told that you are God's possession, it doesn't feel quite right because of our understanding of the word possession. It, it, it could sound like we're just robots under God's control because we hear that word through a lens of sin and we know what it feels like when husband is overly possessive of his wife, or a helicopter mom is over-possessive of her children, or a government is overly possessive of its people. So we would tend to think of that through the brokenness of our world and the lens that that word gives us. But all I have to do is think about my relationship with my own family to understand what I think God means when he tells us that we are his own possession. Because I think about my family. I think about my family. That's my family. I am Bob's wife. That means I'm his friend, his lover, his partner, his encourager. I am his and he is mine. And that's my relationship. He's my husband. I'm his wife. I am the mother of my sons. I am their friend. They're adults. I've raised them. They're, they're now my friends. They're my, I, I encourage them. I care for them. I provide in many ways for them wisdom, counsel, friendship. They're my sons, and I'm their mom, and I'll always be their mom, and they will always be my sons. It's a relationship. So when we, we think about being God's possession, it's about relationship, it's a relational possession. We are His, and He is ours. We have this relationship. And Jesus is the Father's love gift to us, and we are the Father's love gift to him. This is our identity in Christ. You are God's own possession. Can you imagine then how much he loves you? Can you imagine how much he loves you? Can you imagine how many blessings and resources are available to you in the living of your everyday life? because of Christ? Can you imagine your eternal investment account and how full it is? Full to overflowing, how full your investment account is because your good father has lavished these riches and grace upon you? How will you thank him? How will you thank him? How will you love him? How will you worship him? How will you be a good steward of the gifts that have been given to you? 
I can't express love anymore to Bill, my father-in-law, or to Lene, my sweet neighbor. I can't thank them for their lavish gifts to me. I wish I could. I wish I knew before so I could thank them, but I, couldn't, I can't. But I can praise God for the impact that they had on my life, for the gift that they both were to me. I can pay it forward by being a good steward of the gifts that God has given to me. I, can, I have gifts that are given to me spiritually, but I have gifts given to me uh, materially, and I can use those for his glory and good. And, and I can be that person of blessing and encouragement to someone else. And I can do it all for the praise and glory of God, because that's what it's all about. Well, let's talk about the promise. Let's go back and say, how did we become God's possession? How did this even happen? That God would call us his possession, that we would receive such an inheritance and that we would be such an inheritance. Because Paul's going to tell us it all started with the word and it all started when we believed. He says in verse 12, 13, in him, you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In scripture, the word and truth are always found together. Um, we can't receive salvation in Christ without both. The word tells us the truth about Christ, but the Spirit's the one that opens our hearts so that we can understand, we can believe. And Paul explains how a person becomes a believer in Christ, and there are three essential elements to our faith, to how we become Christians. It's all here in this verse. It's so wonderful. Because first he says it's about the word of truth. He says when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel, good news of your salvation, it's interesting that we're talking about hearing because we are living in such a noisy world, aren't we? Oh, we have messages screaming at us all the time, phones ringing, text messages coming through. We have so much noise in our world and everything wants our attention. And honestly, we don't really even know what to believe, do we? We've got the news telling us things. We've got the web telling us things. We've got social media telling us things. And everything seems chaotic. Every time we tap into the world and the noise of the world, it's a tragedy. It's some evil, again, that has manifested itself. It's, um, it's somebody's opinion. It's some emotional appeal about something. And we are so bombarded with noise. You know, a news report just came out um, this last week that said that Interestingly, they've done a survey, and the number one thing that's now causing anxiety in people's lives is the state of the world. And what's interesting is that in, in the past, the number one stressor of people's lives have been financial stress, job stress, wayward children, health concerns, you know, things that were individual. But now, the state of the world has surpassed all of that, and people are feeling the most amount of stress because of the instability, the terror, um, the fearful things that are happening in the world, maybe even the political system. I don't know. But there's, that's what's generating stress in people's lives. Well, it's a scary place to live, right? There's really no place that's safe. Let's just be frank. There's no place that's safe. But God's word is good news to us. 
We can open God's word. There's safety there in God's word because it's truth. Um, it's God speaks into our lives here and now. It's, it's a return to reality when we open God's word. We remember that God is good, that he is sovereign, that he is alive and active in our broken world. He is reaching into the darkness and bringing light. He is taking the evil and the sinfulness and bringing redemption. He is, he is here. He's with us. He's active. We're reminded that Christ died for our sins and set us free from the penalty of death, that he will triumph over evil once and for all. We have a glorious hope to look forward to when, when he comes back and unites all things. We have a hope that replaces despair, and we have a peace that can replace anxiety and fear. And we have a Bible that tells us of God's great love for us and his plans for bringing all things together in Christ. So the word gives us a different perspective. It gives us truth, a lens of truth. And um, we can understand not only the overarching plan of God for human history and how he will bring all things together. You know, what's happening now in our world, the Bible told us, tells us exactly that this is what's going to happen. It no, should be no surprise to anyone who knows the word of God. There's going to be wars and earthquakes and rumors of war, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff, and then Christ is going to return. It's actually going to get worse. That's what the Bible says. Life is unfolding just the way God says. But when we have the word, we know that. So we're not surprised. We keep our eyes on Christ. We look forward to his return, and we live with a lens of truth and perspective. This is good news. This is the gospel. And then it, the next thing he says is that um, we believe. It says, and believed in him. So the second essential of faith is, is belief. Believing just means that we're, we agree with God that his gospel is true, and we place our trust in Christ. Belief is a prerequisite for a relationship with, with Jesus. So we must not only hear the word of truth, we must not only hear it spoken or read or talked about, but we have to respond to it in faith. And that's very different than just intellectual assent. Intellectual assent is, a, is, a, is an intellectual, uh-huh, I get it, I'm hearing it. But it's very different than believing it in your heart. Because when you believe something in your heart, it actually changes how you respond. Your experiences will be different. Your activities will be different. You know, if I believe the weather report, then they tell me that it's going to rain today, then I will bring a raincoat or an umbrella. I will actually do something in response to, to whether or not I believe the weatherman, which we know, of course, the weatherman. Usually when they predict rain, they're right. But, um, but so we respond to something if we believe it, um, or else we just walk away and don't care, I suppose. But believing in him means that I'm believing in a person. I'm believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not just believing a story about him. I'm not just believing that he was a historical figure and he, did all, he lived and died and blah, blah, blah. I'm believing in a person. Um, and then when I believe in him, I will trust my life to him. I will know him in a personal way. There's such a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. You know, we think about all the people in the media, we know a lot about them. Maybe you have a favorite movie star, a television star. Um, I have a, this came home to me when a movie was being filmed next door to my home a few years ago. And, and Brandon Fraser and Harrison Ford were, Carrie Russell were in the movie. And I got to hang out with Brandon, Brandon Fraser's um, parents for like two hours. And they were in my driveway and they were telling me all about their son. And I saw him and he was shooting this movie and it was all really interesting. And I knew a lot about him. But later when I passed him on the driveway, 
he didn't say hi, really. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. Like, I'm not in a relationship with him, but I sure knew a lot about him after spending time with his parents. And it's the same way in our relationship with Christ. We can know a lot about Jesus. We hear about him all the time. We celebrate Christmas and Easter, and we, we can know a lot of things about him. But it's different to know him, to be in a relationship with him. And so that's why we have to believe. Do you know Jesus? How can you be sure? Well, John 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's both. And let me ask, let me just say to you that if you are not ready yet to believe, if you're here studying and investigating, that's awesome because you're doing step number one. You're hearing the truth of the word. That's step number one. And there will, if there's a point that comes where you've heard and you're ready to believe, then you'll be ready for step number two. But it's so great that you're here listening and taking it in and thinking about the truth. And when you're ready, I love Revelation 3.20, which says, behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So when we're ready to believe, he's already there waiting, and he invites us in. The third essential of faith is sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A seal is a mark of ownership and authenticity. This imagery, of course, harkens back to the days when kings would seal a letter with their initial made of wax. I did that when I was a kid. Did anyone else do that? Remember those wax and you had your own initials? And that seal was like a stamp of ownership, like this is from me for real because I'm the only one who has my seal with my initials. But it's also a security. The letter can't be tampered with if it has a wax seal on it. I think also about when I was a girl growing up in summers in Montana, um, we would join my father's friends who had cattle ranches when it was branding time. And I remember sitting up on those high wooden fences and kind of scared, and these calves would come through the chute, and this hot branding iron would come down upon their backs, and they would make an impression of the, the, the brand of the ranch that they belonged to. So that if the calves ever wandered away during the course of their lives, everybody knew, oh, that belongs to the story ranch. There was a brand on their backs. And it's the same way the Holy Spirit seals us to God. He is our God and we are his. And the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. And so we receive God himself as a mark of ownership upon our lives, as the guarantor of our inheritance in Christ. Romans 8:16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Today, I think we might compare this to a down payment on a house. We mark that home as ours when we put a deposit down. We say, that's mine. And sometimes the, sale, the for sale sign goes down. It goes off the market. Maybe we walk the property in anticipation of moving in. We envision what life will be like in this new property that we have made a deposit on. It's like we've signed our name upon it, though we haven't taken full possession of it yet. And the Holy Spirit is not only a mark of ownership, it is a guarantee of that final inheritance. I love what 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says. 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what God does for us. He has acquired us. He has made a down payment on our lives. And the Holy Spirit is preserving us as his possession until we see him face to face. The minute we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. There's no lag time. The minute we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. And he marks us as daughters of the King. And then he begins to teach us. He begins to help us understand God's word so we can know more and we can believe more and we can have a deeper sense of who he is and who Christ is. He helps us to progress in obedience and faith, to put into action the things that we're learning, to have an eye to our own lives and to know how to respond to God's word and to his truth. He changes us from the inside out. Um, He helps us take off the old and put on the new. And one day when we see him, we'll be like him. And that's when we'll acquire the full possession of our inheritance, when we see him face to face. And of course, we'll be with him forever. And Paul says that is all to the praise of his glory. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. He changes us. He he, our, our, the testimony of our lives from darkness to light is all a testimony to the praise of his glory. We are no longer paupers. We are princesses. We are his possession. He is our God. And we are no longer living in darkness. And so the truth is that you are sealed in God's promise. You are sealed in God's promise. If you've heard the truth and you've believed in the person of Jesus Christ, you have received his Holy Spirit, and this is the beginning of your inheritance. You are sealed and secured unto God, um, and you now have a power and a strength to live each day in this broken world. Now, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Well, let me just tell you, if you've believed, you've received. You know. But you might think, well, how do I know? How can I tell if I have the Holy Spirit? Well, let me ask, let me give you some things to think about. Are you excited about what you're learning in Scripture? That's the Spirit. Are you finding new ahas every time you open the Bible? That's the Spirit. Are you longing to draw closer to God? That's the Spirit. Do you want to be a part of God's family? That's the Spirit. Are you experiencing experiencing a heart change in how you respond to the people around you? Are you experiencing more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not you. That's the Spirit at work in you. And sometimes I think we have to look back to see how much the Spirit is changing us. Look back 
a year. Look back five years. Look back 10 years for however long you've been a believer. Look at the path you were on. Look at the things you used to love, the things that you used to desire, the things you used to do in your behaviors and your actions, and see how you are changing and being changed. And of course, there's more change to come. You know, the Bible was just gobbledygook to me. It made no sense to me until the Spirit came alive in me and brought understanding to my life. My heart was never to be a Bible teacher or a pastor. It was never what I thought my life would be like. But it's the work of God's Spirit that gave me a different passion, a different desire. Um, I look back, and, and the greatest testimony of the reality of the Holy Spirit alive in my life is the change of heart that he has birthed in me. And I hope that for all of us, you know, that is the greatest testimony of the reality of God and the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us is that we have been changed and we are being changed. And we will be changed until we see him face to face. What a gift to us. Will you allow the Holy Spirit access to your heart and ask him to teach you how to live in light of this marvelous inheritance in Christ? I love, as we conclude, um, I want to just point out something to you that we just sang about. This is Lisa just being so in touch with the Holy Spirit. But as we've looked at these, these riches in Christ, God has given us this rich inheritance in Christ, I want you to see how all three persons of the Trinity have been at work. All three persons of the Godhead have been part of giving us this rich inheritance. God the Father is the one who chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. God the Father is the one who adopts us as children. God the Son, Jesus, is the one who redeems us from bondage to sin and death and forgives our sins because of his work on the cross. Jesus is the one who reveals the plan of all things coming together, of the wholeness, the ultimate sanctification that will happen um, that, uh, and who we will become in Christ and who are we becoming. And Jesus is the one who provides for our inheritance based on the truth of the gospel, which is all about him, and our belief in it. But then it's God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who assures us that all of this will be so by marking us and sealing us unto God and helping us to know that we are his and he is ours. And isn't that an amazing blessing that we are children of the Most High God and we are recipient of all of these amazing, amazing blessings. So there's only one way we can respond. Worship, right? Um, will you stand and let me pray as we go into our last song of worship. Father, it's mind-boggling to just have a snippet of understanding of your great love for us. You loved us so to make us your own and to be possessed by a God who is so lavish in love and blessing, who forgives sins, who makes us holy and blameless, who adopts us as children, who lavishes riches on us and gives us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a security of our identity in Christ. What a gift. Lord, all we can do is say thank you and we can worship you to the praise of your glory. Lord, help us to live each moment of each day with this perspective. It's in your name we pray. Amen.